We're in John chapter 14. Uh, I, I use PowerPoint. I'm not as close to Jesus as Pastor Steve. Uh, Jesus didn't use PowerPoint, but he had a pretty fruitful ministry, so Pastor Steve doesn't need PowerPoint. I need all the help I can get. So we're in John chapter 14, and that handout comes in pretty handy. It'll be later on the sermon, all right? So let not your heart be troubled where we start in John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus is saying this, the, the scene is the Last Supper, which started in John 13. Jesus had already washed their feet, and he's getting ready to go to Gethsemane. And he says, uh, let not your heart be troubled. So why would, he's talking to believers, he's talking to the disciples. Why, why did your heart get troubled? For, for them, he had just said, one of you will betray me. And they're going, they're looking around. Finally, they start asking, is it me? They, they finally realize, I think Jesus knows me better than I know me. I don't know what I'm capable of doing, the, the harm or the sin. And so they're going, to, is it me? Is it me? So he says, one, one of you is going to betray me. Then he goes, uh, he said, I'm leaving. This is where panic strikes. Because they're saying, you know, Jesus, for three and a half years we've walked with you. We kind of got used to having you around. You know, as long as you're here, we're going to eat. As long as you're here, we're going to see people rise from the dead. We're going to see healings, and, and it's really exciting. But without you, I can't handle Peter. That guy embarrasses himself every time he opens his mouth. Are you, seriously? I, 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 those, there's some guys, I don't like how they vote. They have the bumper sticker on their chariot. I don't like that. You see what they post on social media. I can't handle They wear a mask. They don't wear a mask. You ever had that? I mean, the things churches are divided over now are just crazy. But Lord, how about that zealot? That guy is a kook. I can't handle him. How about Levi the tax collector? He's a scammer. I don't trust him. You're leaving? I can't handle this. So then he goes, well, yeah, <laughs> here's the biggie. You have to love one another. Oh, great. It's a higher standard. It's like the way I love you. And if you get into it in Leviticus, where, where it originally says love one another, it says don't hold grudges. How is it that we seem to have the gift of holding a grudge? You know, like, why aren't you talking to that guy? Well, because 19 years ago, he didn't let me out when I was trying to make a left-hand turn. And you know, you're holding that a grudge. Yeah, I just can't stand that guy. So what if Jesus did the same to you? What if he treated you the same way? You know, Mike, that worship song 19 years ago, you just weren't into it. So I'm not listening to you anymore. It's amazing that Jesus doesn't hold grudges against us, and yet we think we can hold grudges. In Colossians chapter 3 is one of the best verses on forgiveness. You got a, a gripe against someone else? This is, this is my, my take on it. You got a complaint against someone, even as Christ forgave you, so you must forgive one another? And so you understand forgiving one another is not an option, right? It's, uh, if we're following Jesus, we're forgiving people. So he goes, uh, you have to love one another. And finally he goes, okay, you're going to fail. What? <laughs> you're leaving. We have to love one another, and we're going to fail. Yeah, Peter, especially you. You know the one who's saying, these clowns might fail you, but me, I'm the rock. Remember, you called me the rock. And he's saying, Peter, 
You're going to crash and burn, and you need it. You're going to be sifted like wheat. You have no idea the, the shaking. You know, they put that like in a screen pan and just violently shake it so that the, the good stuff is separated from the bad stuff because Satan has demanded to sift you as well. You have no idea what you're, and you're so, so proud and so cocky. You need this so that you get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. So that's what he's looking at. And we're going to read John chapter 14. Verses 1 through 6, I'm reading from the New King James. Is that what you guys use? Oh, good. <laughs> Let not your heart be troubled, this is Jesus speaking. You believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, do you understand what he's doing? He just said, I want equal trust. You trust me as much as you trust my Father. You have faith in me as much as you have faith in my Father. If I said that, You'd walk out of here, and rightly so. You go, what a kook. I, I think sometimes we're so familiar with the words of Christ, we forget how radical it is. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. Now notice this, the wording here is the rapture. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you go, you know. And here's the doubting Thomas. What a great guy. If you're picturing the scene, here's 12 apostles. They're all going, any idea what he's talking about? I'm clueless. And so finally, T Thomas is going to, Speak up what everybody's thinking. They're just afraid to say it. So I love this guy. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how am I supposed to know how to get there? And Jesus said, some of the most powerful words in the Bible, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray again. I, Lord, Please write your word on our hearts, on our minds, so that we may apply it to our lives. May we see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's this controversial verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, he's the only way to heaven. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're just going... That is a crazy verse. That's kind of radical. But he, he surrounded this with really, really awesome promises. One is uh, in verses 2 and 3. He says, I'm going to build you a place, and I'm going to come back to you and receive you to myself that you'll be with me. Again, uh, the, the rapture. Now, but he also says in verse 18 what he will not do. He's not going to leave you as orphans. Now, I... I Go to India a lot. I like it over there. Love to teach uh, and in their Bible colleges and stuff. And the first time my wife and I went was 1986. And uh, we stayed at an orphanage of 175 kids. And uh, so one, one night the, the pastor's pointing out different kids and how they got to the orphanage. And, and they don't even know it. Like, oh, there was Marta and Mary, twin sisters, seven years old. They were there in hiding because their uncle wanted to marry them. Crazy. 
Then he points out another girl. Now, I, I had watched this girl. She had very distinctive features. And he said, oh, that girl? Um, well, before he points her out, he, he says there was a girl that a bus driver was driving his bus late at night. He's letting out a passenger, and he heard a cow mooing frantically and a large dog barking. And he felt prompted, I need to go see what's going on. So he parked the bus. He goes out there. There's a baby that was abandoned, and this large dog wanted to eat the baby, and God put this cow in between the two and was mooing like crazy. The bus driver rescued the baby, delivered it to this orphanage, and I'm going, what? And then the pastor goes, and there she is right there. And she doesn't know she was abandoned by her parents. So when Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he's saying, I will never abandon you. I will not. You might feel like he's abandoned you. But the Bible says he's near the broken heart. It doesn't say you're going to feel like he's near. He just promises to be near. So we want to uh, discuss these verses two ways. One thing is this radical claim of Jesus Christ, that he's the only way. What we're going to do is a very quick overview of what it's like to have a biblical worldview, which I, <laughs> I know you guys have that already. Secondly, another, another take on these verses is the rapture as it's des described in these verses. All right, so the first part, biblical worldview. How, what does that mean? A little precursor, I didn't write the Bible. I'm not going to rewrite the Bible. And I think that's important to rehearse. Like if you're trying to be salt and light like Jesus said to be, it's good to rehearse. Look, I didn't write the Bible. I'm not going to rewrite the Bible. God said exactly what he meant, and he means what he said. So there's this controversial verse, I'm the only way to heaven. A biblical worldview is I see life through the lens of the Bible. I see what the Bible says, and, I, and that's how I view life, my circumstances, my future, my hereafter. Not everyone has that view. Others have the whatever view. Others have whatever's popular view. Others have whatever my friends say view. But let's see what a, a biblical worldview is. First, you start with God. What's the biblical view of God? He is eternal. If you're dealing with someone who says, how old is God? And they think they're real cute. You go, oh, that's called category failure. You're, you're, you're putting God in the wrong category. So you're putting him in the age category, A-G-E. He's not in that. He's in the eternal category. No beginning and no end. He is eternal. Another thing about God, he is the creator of all things. He is all-knowing. That's omniscience, all science, all knowing. He's all powerful, omnipotent, and he's everywhere at the same time. Now, here's the thing that when people get to heaven, and I suspect some of you are, <laughs> kind of nervous joking there, but uh, when you get to heaven, people are going to say, oh man, I, I can't wait to see. God is love. He is love. God is joy, Psalm 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. You know what you're going to see? The very first thing about God is holiness. Because the, the Bible says he is holy, holy, holy. When you see something 
said three times in a row, there is no greater way to emphasize something in the Greek language. So when you get to heaven, you're going to go, like Peter, depart from me, I'm a holy, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. Or, or like Isaiah, I speak with unclean lips, I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Why? Because they saw God in his holiness. Now, he's also love. 1 John 4, 7, 8, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. But he doesn't sacrifice his love, or he doesn't sacrifice holiness just to prove his love. He's also forgiving. Praise the Lord. He's also merciful. Now, here's a view of man, a biblical view of man created in the image of God, only two genders, male and female. Now, already you're going, wait a minute. Popular worldview doesn't say that. It says there's all kinds of genders. You'll see, if you have a biblical worldview, it simplifies things. It clarifies things. You were created. You were, didn't ooze out of the slime. You were created a living soul uh, in the image of God. Another thing about man, we've fallen into sin. That means you are less than perfect. Newsflash, I guess. Um, yeah, unable to save self. Matter of fact, in Isaiah, he says every time you try to save yourself, you're trying to try to prove your righteousness, it's filthy rags. It's an absolute disgusting image in the original language. Just like you don't want to parade around in front of God. Look at, look at how much money I gave. Look at how I cleaned the beach. All of those things are great, but they're not going to get you into heaven. So we need forgiveness. We can't forgive ourselves. Jesus said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass, but there's no other way. Here's the biblical view of marriage. Do you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> I got one guy, okay. <laughs> Between one man and one woman. Not very popular today. I didn't write the Bible. I'm not going to rewrite the Bible. I don't want to be sarcastic. I don't want to be rude. I'm trying to win people to Christ, not lose them. Here's the biblical view of marriage. One man, one woman. It's a picture of God's commitment and love to you and to me. So it's pretty important. Biblical view of life. This one gets sticky for some. God is at work in the womb. Psalm 139. Jeremiah 1. Okay? He has a plan and a purpose for each, per each child. And abortion ruins that. I am not here to shame someone who's had an abortion. My wife did many years ago, right after high school, years before I met her. There is restoration. There is forgiveness. There's uh, wholeness again. But if you're planning on it, if you're entertaining the idea, can I stand and just say, please spare that life? A, a, abortion just ruins what God's trying to do. Now, here's the view of sin. It's an offense. Remember we said God is holy, holy, holy? Sin is an offense of that. And it, it must be paid for. View of forgiveness of that sin? See, now we're coming back to chapter 14, verse 6. Forgiveness is found one way. Jesus Christ. The one who prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Heaven was silent that night because there's only one way. God simplified it. He clarified it. Over 300 prophecies fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, was buried, and rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. Now, you go, that's so narrow. 
That's exactly what it is. That's, one way is very narrow. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus said. Broad is the way to destruction. Many go that way. Narrow is the way to eternal life, and only a few go there. So this is mind-boggling. I don't know if you ever walk around like this going, the proportion of people going to hell is a lot more than those going to heaven. So my wife and I were going through Kapa'a yesterday. And I, I do this all the time. I'm looking around on the streets and going, okay, how many are going to hell? How many are going to heaven? It's like I can't not think like that because I want to I be a soul winner. I, I want to be a, a bridge to people to come, in, come into the Lord. Now, here's the idea. I don't know if you heard about this Sparkle Creed and they think they're believers. They re, there's, this is on um, social media where they were, it's a church, I think it was Minnesota, somewhere up there. They recite this creed before communion. It, the, the way it got its name is a gal was uh, dictating it into her phone, you know, voice to text. And she said the Apostle Creed and it came out the Sparkle Creed or the Nonsense Creed. But uh, here's, here's what they, they're rehearsing this uh, before communion. I believe in the non-binary God whose, whose pronouns are plural. I won't get into pronouns. That's just. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic like that. It has something to do with anything. And he had two dads and saw everyone as sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit, not the Holy Spirit, the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gazed at the stars. And That's way too deep for me. I, I'm not sure. How about this? I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief, amen. Can we go back to that love is love is love? That's kind of a, a cliche these days. It basically saying, I'm going to love whoever I want, and you can't judge me. Don't try and tell me I'm wrong. Love is love is love. The problem with that is pedophiles love it. See, pedophiles say, ah, I'm a middle-aged man. I just love five-year-old boys. And they seem to like me too. Love is love is love. Don't judge me. Then there's the adulterer. Yeah, I'm married, but man, I really love women. Love is love is love. Don't try and judge me. You want to take it to an extreme, here's a guy who loves his dog. It's called bestiality. Don't judge me. Love is love is love. It's nonsense. It's from the pit, God is love. And we're supposed to live according to his lifestyle. Now, well, let's compare that creed to the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father. Notice this, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's a very unpopular subject these days. 
that God's going to judge the earth. Yet it's hard to read the book of Revelation and not come to that conclusion. So, Apostles' Creed ends with this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, praise the Lord, resurrection of the body, you will face God, and the life everlasting. So, that's our first part. The first part was how, how do we uh, address this radical claim of Christ? We do it with a biblical worldview, the biblical view of God, holy, 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 biblical view of man, fallen, biblical view of Jesus, he came to die for our sins. So the second one is what you have your, your hand out for is the rapture as described in these verses. Let's start with this. Uh, people say, is the word rapture even in the Bible? It's not in the English Bible. It's not in the Greek Bible. It is in the Latin Bible. All right? Now, it's, uh, I just said this, huh? <laughs> Sorry. So if you, let's turn, if, if you've got your Bibles there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Um, there's a guy named St. Jerome. St. Jerome was a very studious man, very exacting man, and he was uh, asked to, translate the Greek New Testament into Latin, which he did, and it's called the Latin Vulgate. So when it came to the, this verse, in verses 16 and 17, he had, a, he had a decision to make. So verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. It's good to remember, this is referring to the rapture, the return of Christ, it's going to happen a good seven years later. So the two R's, rapture and return. So then it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo in the Greek, it, it means it's a, a forceful snatching away, removal. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the rapture, the Lord only comes as far as the clouds, and we get caught up to be with him. At the return in Revelation 19, he comes down to the earth, steps on the Mount of Olives, causes an earthquake, and thus forth. Thus so. so here's the exacting St. Jerome. He goes, I want the best translation from the Greek New Testament to the Latin New Testament called the Vulgate. And so he goes, it's caught up. A snatching away, a force. Can you believe this is in the Bible? When I first read that, I went, what? It caught up. So he goes, okay, I'm going to choose the word rapturus in the, in the Latin. We transliterate that into rapture. So if someone goes, is the word rapture even in the Bible? Not in the English, not in the, Latin, not in the Greek, but it is in the Latin rapturus, and we transliterate it into the uh, into our language. He goes, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The doctrine, the teaching of the rapture should be comforting. It's comforting to me if we get raptured before the seven-year great tribulation. It's not good news if we get raptured at the end of the seven-year tribulation. We'll get into that in just a minute, so comfort one another. Now, here's another place where the rapture is, is found or described. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're really quick, you can turn there. Or I got it up, up here for you. So here's Paul the Apostle. Again, he wrote 1 Thessalonians. He wrote 1 Corinthians. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. That's a euphemism for die. We're not all going to die. But we're all going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is the twinkling of an eye? Anybody want to guess? Could you mumble louder? Just <laughs> it's a gnat. The time it takes a gnat to bat its wing. Like, what was that? See, there's people, <laughs> this is amazing. They know all this stuff, and they go, you know, as soon as I hear the trumpet, I'm going to repent. Dude, it's too late. <laughs> Snooze, you lose, okay? Get ready now. So it happens quick. It's like this flash, and, and what was that? You know, can you imagine all of a sudden, what, where did that guy go? I was just talking to him. But we're getting ready. We, whoo, what a ride. All right, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised to incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. See, this whole section started with this, where, where he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't just cruise up to heaven and go, hey, I'm here, God. What you got for me? Hey, I don't know if you saw this recently on on uh, social media. By the way, I'm not on social media, but it's, I see this on Google, I guess. The sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles away, and you expect to casually cruise into the presence of its creator? Just think about that. This corruptible must put on incorruption to, to get to heaven. All right, so on your outline, on your handout, there's basically seven main ingredients about the, the, the end times. The key that started it all was Israel. People who, who confuse the church today with Israel <laughs> they met, really get messed up in the end times. Israel, 1948, again became a nation some 1,900 years after they were destroyed in 70 A.D., a miracle. They still have their culture. They still have their language. They still have their religion. So uh, seven basic ingredients. Eyes on Israel. Number one, the church age. You are here. That's on your outline. Uh, you can, right before the rapture, you can put a little X there if you want. Second thing is the rapture. Good news is nothing needs to happen between now and the rapture. I was kind of bummed it didn't happen last night. Just personal, just I'm ready. It's sounding good to me. Nothing needs to happen between now and, and uh, the rapture. Thirdly, the Antichrist, and I just lumped this whole thing together, and the seven-year great tribulation. The Antichrist, I know Pastor Steve's been going through uh, the end times recently. Antichrist appears as a man of peace. Somehow he has like an assassination attempt on his head, and he, he's healed, it's miracle. Somehow he's going to get the Arabs and the Jews to sign a seven-year peace agreement. Seven -year pe right now, uh, I'm sure you're up on this, that Israel is surrounded by enemies. Israel's enemies has missiles pointed at Israel. They're just waiting to hit that button. And they might. Uh, we might be out of here before the end of the sermon. Somebody just said, hallelujah. But the thing... They're all ready. It's there in place. So the Antichrist comes on the scene as the man of peace and has this way, I'm going to get the Arabs and the Jews to sign a seven-year peace agreement. That becomes a seven-year 
great tribulation. It's nasty for all seven years. Then you have the return of Christ. You see that in chapter 19 of Revelation. And you and I will be with him. All right? See this in Colossians 3? Colossians 3 verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall appear with him in glory. That means when Jesus returns, you and I are going to be with him in glorified bodies. What I like about this, it says when Christ, who is our life, he's not my top priority. He's my life. That's why I'm here. Christ, who is our life. So again, just real quickly, church age, that's where we are. We're at the end of that church age. Chapter uh, 3 of Revelation. The rapture, nothing needs to happen between now and then. The Antichrist, seven-year great tribulation. After that, the return of Christ. Chapter 19 of Revelation, you and I are with him. Satan, at that point, is bound for a thousand years. Uh, this is chapter 20 of Revelation. And it's called the millennium. Uh, it's a great time. We co-rule on the earth with, with Christ. Then Satan is released in chapter 20. He is judged finally. And, he, and then there's the great white throne judgment. All of death and Hades give up her, her dead. God is fair. He will give them a trial. But if you're at the great white throne, you're, it's toast. It's over. It's over. Now, it's interesting. Satan is bound for a thousand years, and then he's, he's finally um, judged after that. I was sharing with a waitress in uh, in. Haleiva, and we have this thing called the three circles. I don't know if you guys know about that. So it's on the back of my phone. It's how to share the Lord. And you end the three circles by saying, hey, now, if you had died last night, you'd be in one of the circles, heaven or hell. And she cut me off. She goes, oh, if I had died last night, I'd be in hell because I worship Satan. So she has uh, been deceived into thinking Satan is the ruler of hell. He's the prisoner of hell. He's destroyed, or he's not destroyed, he's judged here in, in uh, Revelation chapter 20. Then we have a new heaven and new earth, uh, 21 and 22. So here's your outline, okay? And like I said, uh, here, you are here. You're at the very end of the church age. It's been 2,000 years. We're ready to go. Nothing needs to happen between now and the rapture. So I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That means the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation. Now, this might be redundant for some of you. It might be just good rehearsal because there's three big terms about this. I believe in the pre-trib. Uh, anybody who wants to go through the tribulation needs serious counseling. So others... Uh, they believe in the mid-trib. That's just a fancy way of saying they believe halfway through the tribulation is when they get raptured. Uh, halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years into it, the Antichrist goes into the temple. There's a new temple that will be built on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He's goyim. He's, he's not a Jew, so he's not allowed in there. He goes in there, sets up an image of himself, and he declares he's God. That's an abomination, and it causes the Jews to have their eyes open, causes desolation. At that point, the Jews run, and they, they hide out in Rock City of Petra. So some people think, oh, that's when the rapture happens. No, no, that's when the, the 
abomination of desolation happens. Then there's others. This is the post-tribulation. So these people go all the way through the great tribulation. They get raptured. Make a U-turn and come right back down. I'm not sure what, whoo, that was a good ride. I, I'm not sure why you would, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm just saying that's what, if that's what some people believe in. Uh, I'm not one of them. Right now, there's a lot of people who are into this preterism. Is this a new term for you? Or you're going, no, I've talked to people that believe that. Preter means past. So preterism, and there's good believers who believe this. I'm just trying to share. So they believe that most of the end time prophecies happened in 70 AD when this Roman soldier named Titus overthrew Jerusalem. And he says, see, that's when all those things happen. Uh, okay, here's the problem with that. True preterism doesn't preach the return of Jesus Christ, so that's heresy. True preterism, oh, that means we're now in the thousand-year kingdom age? It, it, <laughs> where the lion plays with the lamb? Where the child plays with the cobra? That's going on right? Oh, that's just this you know, allegory. No, it's what the Bible says. It's a thousand years. It's a literal thousand years. The lamb and the lion are going to be playmates. The, the child will play with the cobra. That's what the Bible says. But these people say, no, 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 this is just an allegory. Okay, so that means Satan's bound because he's bound during that time. That means there's no spiritual warfare. That's why I have massive problems with these. And, and uh, <laughs> I'm saying I'm disappointed. If this is the kingdom age, I, I'm disappointed. I got an amen. <laughs> I thought it was going to be better. Sorry. All right. So again, I believe in the pre-trib rapture, which means you're here. What do you do now? All right. This is the application. What time do you normally leave? Or one o'clock? Okay. <laughs> I'm almost done. All right. So what am I supposed to do? According to Jesus in, in Matthew 24, when he's that great chapter about the end times he said because sin abounds the love of many will grow cold how many of you think that's for the unbelievers how many think it's for the believers i think it's for everybody because i know i need to watch my heart i'm thinking you need to watch your heart Lo the sin abounds my love grows cold I need to make sure I don't have that attitude. You want to do that and go to hell? Go ahead. That's not Christ-like. You want to keep on sinning when you know it's against God? Go ahead. See if I care. My heart can get cold when I look at all the sin around in this world. Be careful. It's a warning from Christ. Okay, another one. As in the days of Noah, Jesus said, the last days will be just like in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? giving and taking in marriage, business as usual. What was it, 120 years? Noah's building this thing. They're coming by laughing, mocking, persecuting. What are you doing, dude? It's never, water's not going to come down from the sky. It's never come down from the sky. Won't stop God. Have you ever heard? It's, there's never been a rapture. Kind of sounds like the same. Actually, there has been a couple of mini raptures. Enoch walked with God and was not. Elijah caught up chariots of God. A little private rapture. That'd be cool. 
But here it was, Jesus said, it's just like in the days of Noah. It, it, they carried on in their sin. They carried on their mocking, their persecution, right up until the first raindrop. What was that? What just happened? It's everywhere. We're dying. The return of the Son of Man is going to be the same. Now, according to Jesus, he said, Luke 21 is comparable to Matthew 24. Let not your hearts be weighed down with the cares of this world, meaning you and I are going to be tempted to have our hearts weighed down. Okay? It's like, don't you look at the world today and go, man, alive, what's going on? What's going on? Don't, don't be weighed down. Watch and pray always. Is this what you do? Watch and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Why do I think I'm not going to go through the great tribulation? I'm doing what Jesus said to do. Does that sound good? Lord, I hope I'm worthy. My son, when he was like seven, I'd put him to bed. He'd pray, and Lord, if I hear that trumpet. <laughs> what are you, repenting in advance? Yeah, okay, good for you. So, but it just pray always. that You'll be counted worthy to escape all that. So here Jesus said, occupy, which means keep busy for the kingdom until I come. What does that mean? Keep busy. I, I'm glad what we're doing here. I'm glad to hear about outreaches. I'm glad to hear about Bible studies. I'm glad to hear about people getting saved because that's occupying. That's keeping busy uh, until he returns. He didn't say, freak out until I return. How many Christians are doing that? I got to share something. I have a pet peeve on this one. You know, I, and it came about in all innocence. It was during COVID. It came out of concern when people would say, be safe. Is that in the Bible? Moses taking some two million people out of Egypt into desert with snakes and scorpions, no food, no water. Be safe. <laughs> David collecting five stones. That was a little slingshot. Where are you going? Take on that Goliath. Be safe. <laughs> Beniah, do you know Beniah? Crawled into a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion. Be safe. <laughs> How about Peter? Lord, if that's you, key phrase, if that's you, bid me to come out on the water in the middle of the storm. Meaning, if it's me, if I'm just looking for attention, I'm trying to, I, I don't need that. If it's you, bid me to come. Twelve apostles in the boat. Twelve guys could have walked out. One guy, as he's getting out of the boat, Andrew goes, be safe. What is that? What happened to you? Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord thy God is with you. What happened to that? How about this one? Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Be safe. What is that? Don't you want to go, Jesus, is there another illustration you could use? To tone it down, I mean, rather than, you know, you know, just, I don't know, chimpanzees against monkeys. But no, 
Lambs against wolves is a, not going to happen. My wife watched an MMA fight with me. I might stumble some of you, but it's happened. She's never done this before. We're having Mexican food in Kapa'a. They have the live fight on the screen. I'm saying, watch this. this is, you know, karate act in high school. When they announced the fight, that guy, I mean, man, he really outdid himself with his tuxedo. And now in the blue corner, we have and he lists all of his, and in the red corner, we have, did you know what Jesus is saying? Now in the blue corner, we have a wolf. <sighs> just licking his chops, just going back and forth like, you're mine, you're mine. <laughs> you know, and then he goes, and in this corner, we have a lamb. And the lamb is here eating some grass, oblivious. There's a fight going on. I'm in trouble. Because once he looks up and sees the wolf, he's going to go, where's my shepherd? Oh, he just said he's leaving. You're going to fail. Be safe. <laughs> do, do you understand? Is it just me? Is it just like, wait, 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 I, are we retreating when we should be advancing? When we should be salt and light? And if you're not salt, Jesus said it's only good to be thrown on the ground, meaning you will be walked over. If you refuse to be salt, we're the ones that have the answer. I didn't write the Bible. I'm not going to rewrite it. He said, occupy until I come. If the rapture happened last night, where would you be right now? <laughs> would you have shown up in church? Where's the worship team? What a bunch of slackers. <laughs> Here's the thing. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He keeps it very simple. You open the door, I will come in. I, I was raised as a Roman Catholic. I never heard about being born again. I never once heard. Be born again, you must be born again. That's an ultimatum. That's not a suggestion. You must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven. I'm 17 years old. I'm just hearing this for the first time. I'm mad. I, I was simple. I was driving a GTL. I had this race car. And I just said, uh, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. And he did. I did good for about a year. Then I went, got into the whole surfer hippie scene, ended up in jail. Ended up just, the reason I came to Hawaii 50 years ago to surf pipe, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I was convinced he doesn't know how to give me fun. Just out of here. Surfed the best waves in the world for a month. I was empty. But I was also confused. I thought, well, now God's never going to take me back. I wouldn't take me back. And I just prayed, Lord, I surrender. I freshly surrendered. It was that simple. Matter of fact, I know is there someone here, you don't know me? Uh, is there a girl here, a woman here, you're kind of new? Come on up. <laughs> What's your name? Alicia. Alicia. Can we give it up for Alicia? <laughs> There's steps. Okay. Alicia, this is not one of the backpacks that you're talking about giving away for kids. This is a present. 
that I made for you. Uh, you can open it. Go ahead. Oh, not till Christmas. Just no, go ahead. It's, my wife would say it's Christmas in July. I'll take it. Yeah, take your time. It's okay. My kids just rip it. Just like. You read that later. <laughs> Here, let me. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Now, can show them. Does it come with a price tag? Did you earn this? Did you work for it? Did you receive it? All right. This is a, a cutting board. I make cutting boards. Give them away free. Uh, I wrap them up like a present, a gift, and in here is my testimony and my wife. And it's a, uh, it shares how to pray the sinner's prayer and ask Christ into your heart. It's yours. But it's free. If that's how you're getting to heaven, you're going to heaven. If you think, oh, no, no, it's not a gift. I have to work. You're not going. You must be born again. Like Elisha, is that what you name? All right, well, thank you. You're done. <laughs> I was baptized last Sunday. Oh, nice. She was just baptized last Sunday. <laughs> All right. So our view of sin, offense against the holy, holy, holy God, forgiveness only in Jesus Christ. That's how you receive Christ. It's a free gift. If it's not done that way, and you think, no, no, I, I'm going to do it on my own, you might as well go up to Christ on the cross and slap him in the face. I don't need you. I'm good enough on my own. No, no. If there's any other way, Jesus prayed, let this cup pass. There's no other way. If you haven't already, do what I did. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. It was a surrender. I realized I was a sinner. I needed his forgiveness. And then I surrendered my life to him. He took a broken guy really bad off and made him a pastor. Made him happily married for 47 years. God bless you guys.